It is a blessing to have each of you with us this morning, and thank you so much for choosing to be a part of the worship service this morning. What a beautiful day the Lord has made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. Last Sunday, I talked about a man who had an encounter with Jesus, and the result was that he had a reason to rejoice. In fact, there are many who are here this morning who are able to rejoice in the same way. You were in need. You were physically hurting. You were financially broken, but Jesus intervened. In Psalm chapter 9, the psalmist writes, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. He will later add, sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion. Tell among the peoples his deeds. This man that we read about last week who had the encounter with Jesus at the pool of Bethesda, it is likely that following his encounter with Jesus that he wanted to tell everyone about the great work that Jesus had done in his life. I know that I would have, but the reality is that many people had encounters with Jesus and not all resulted in the same excitement and celebration. I mentioned last week that there were multitudes of people who had gathered there at the pool of Bethesda, yet we're only told of one who was healed that day. You almost have to wonder how many among the multitudes encountered Jesus that day, yet we know nothing about it. The sad truth is that there will be many who will encounter God yet they don't always walk away with rejoicing and transformation. They may encounter God in a church service or simply watching a sunrise or perhaps at the birth of a child or simply through the loving touch of someone else's generosity. God shows up in many ways, and sometimes we walk away thinking, well, that was really nice. But being impressed with what God has done or is doing is not the same as being transformed by it. Today, I want us to look at another passage that describes such an encounter with Jesus. Our passage today is found in Mark chapter 10, and I invite you to turn, if you would, in your Bibles. Mark chapter 10, we're going to look at verses 17 through 31. I recognize it's a little bit of a longer passage, and what we're going to do is we're going to break it up into sections as we read it today. And just like last week's passage, this is, or it should be, a somewhat familiar passage to many of us. But I want us to look at it today from a slightly different perspective. Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 17, says this, And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And then we have Jesus' response in verse 18. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. Now we're going to stop there. We'll come back to the passage in just a few moments. 
This man is often referred to simply as the rich young ruler. We don't know much else about him. We don't know his name. We don't know where he came from. We don't know who his parents were. But everything about this guy screams that I desire more. I'll come back to this man's response there in verse 20 in a moment, but verses 19 and 20 suggest that he's been living in accordance with the commandments. So we assume that he is a religious man, but there's more to this than simply being religious. In fact, this guy seems to be what I would call in a very familiar place. There have been many who have sought God through religion, only to feel empty and incomplete. We've lived as if keeping some list of do's and don'ts would somehow bring satisfaction to our lives. We go to church, we read our Bibles, we participate in tithes and offerings, and maybe we even serve in some type of ministry, but it's not enough. And then somewhere down the road, we wake up and we realize that it's not enough. We want more. So this man doesn't want to know how he can be a better person. In fact, I would suggest to you he is a good person already. He doesn't want to know what he can do that will make him stand out from the rest of the crowd. He wants to know, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You know, last week we talked about how going to Jesus is always the best place for us when we are in need of healing. In this case, this man doesn't need a physical healing, but going to Jesus is absolutely the right place to go. He knows that if anyone can answer this question, it's Jesus. He's probably heard Jesus teach. He's probably been impressed with some of the things that he has said. And he thought to himself, this is the man that I need to speak with. And this also should relate well with us. Sometimes when we start looking for something more, we tend to go to all kinds of sources. We pour ourselves into various relationships, into new hobbies or habits, into sports or entertainment or even our jobs and our careers. But as most of you probably already know, even though many of these things can be good things, they too will disappoint us in the long run. If you want more, as this man apparently wanted more, the place to turn is Jesus. And it doesn't mean looking for more religion. This guy had plenty of religion. What he needed was a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that is what we need as well. But he asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What a great question. And Jesus responds with a list of commandments. But these five or six commandments, well, they're incomplete. As you know, we originated with 10 commandments. And the book of Leviticus goes even deeper with the law, getting into specifics that aren't addressed in the Ten Commandments. In fact, we, if we really get technical, throughout Exodus and Leviticus, we come across hundreds of laws and expectations that were placed upon God's people. 
yet Jesus only mentions a few. It has been suggested by some theologians that Jesus was simply covering the ones that were most commonly an issue for faithful Jews. And perhaps that's why he only lists these laws. But I have another thought. I wonder if Jesus referenced these laws simply because he knew the heart of this man. These were things that he was already very good at, and Jesus knew it. But Jesus would have also known that such goodness likely made this guy feel pretty impressed by himself. In fact, listen again to his response. Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. Within his response, I hear a, a bit of arrogance. I'm good. I'm doing all those things. In fact, I've been doing it all along. I'm a good guy. But goodness isn't good enough. Jim Collins is a secular author who wrote the book, Good to Great. And in his book, he makes the statement that the enemy of greatness is goodness. He adds that when one thinks they are already good enough, they no longer strive for greatness. I told you that he was a secular author. Rarely will I reference that from the pulpit, but he is correct. There have been far too many in the body of Christ who thought they were good, and therefore they stopped pursuing the greatness that God desires for them. I won't go back and re-preach the recent sermon on the lukewarm Christians in Laodicea. But I will say that God is never satisfied with us being good enough. He wants us to be one or the other, either hot or cold. And what he really wants of us is greatness. Well, this guy says, I'm good. And there's almost a sense that I've kept up my end of the bargain. I'm a good person. And now, not only do I want more, I deserve more. Maybe we can relate to this as well. Does God owe you something more because you've done all the good things that I've already talked about here? Now, I'm not cheating on my wife, and I'm being respectful of my parents. I haven't killed anybody. I haven't stolen anything. Does God owe you something special because of what you've done? Does he owe you something special because you made being in church a priority? Nope. I know that everybody in here probably knows this, at least in theory, but if you truly get what you deserve, it won't be a reward. The wage of sin is death, and all of us have sinned, so that's what we deserve. So it's not that we deserve more, we actually deserve less. So Jesus responds to him once again. Listen to verse 21, and Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. And before I get into Jesus's words and what he says here, let me just say that I love the commentary by Mark before this statement. He says, Jesus looking at him loved him. 
Regardless of how this man will respond, Jesus' love for him has already been established. We were created in his image, and his constant love for us is always on full display. Of course, the greatest example of this is found in the cross. But the truth is that his love is not limited to the cross. He is always providing for you and for me. He is always offering grace, and he very much longs for intimacy with you and me. We may not always respond as we ought to, but Paul is correct when he says that nothing shall separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Jesus loved this man. And again, Jesus knows the heart of this man ahead of time. So Jesus adds one more thing to the list of the laws he's already given. Go and sell everything you've got and give it to the poor. It's interesting because this also would relate to one of the other commandments that he did not initially list. Thou shalt not covet. While he has sought to be a good man, and he has done much good, it would seem that he had become quite attached to the good things that God had placed in his life. But it should be noted that Jesus isn't calling this man to something new. I know it's, it's not word for word what you get in the Ten Commandments here, but Jesus isn't calling him to something that's unique to him or something that's new. In fact, Jesus is only calling this man to do what others had already done. Think about it. Peter, Andrew, James, and John, they all left the family fishing business to come and follow Jesus. They got rid of everything to go and be with him. Matthew, he had left his comfortable job working as a tax collector to go and follow Jesus. Jesus is simply calling them and him to pay the price. So Jesus isn't asking for something new. He's just getting to the thing that seems most difficult for this man. Verse 26 says that the disciples were astonished and they asked, then who can be saved? And what I hear in this question is if this guy can't do it, well, who can I mean, this guy's a good guy. He's spiritual. You would think that this guy's solid. This would be the guy that's at every church service. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. This is the guy who is constantly doing good things for other people in the community. This is the guy who could probably quote various scriptures. If this guy can't do it, then who can? To help drive home this point, Jesus goes into an illustration about it being easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, I know that we've all probably heard this absurd illustration before. And I've heard it said that there was an actual gate that was known as the eye of the needle. It was a little bit smaller than some of the other gates and it was too small for a camel to actually fit through this gate without first removing all the baggage that was on the camel. 
And what would have to happen is they would remove everything and this camel would literally have to drop to its knees and almost crawl through the gate. And then they would reload the camel. The point was, it was really difficult. And while that illustration may be true, this is also a literary style that was common among the Jewish teachers. They would give such absurd examples so that people don't miss the point of what is being said. Examples of this are seen in Jesus' illustration about God's people being able to see the speck of dust in their brother's eye, but not being able to see the plank in their own eye. Or when he says that you strain out a gnat to make sure you don't swallow it, you're drinking this water and there's a little gnat in there and you don't want to swallow it down, but then you swallow a whole camel. It's intended to be extreme to drive home a point. And the point that Jesus is making is that when you've been blessed with so much, sometimes it can be very hard to let it go. In a manner, you'd be better off with nothing. I know you've heard me say this before, but maybe financial prosperity is not really what we need. I know we pray for it. We want the Lord to bless us. We want, I know he's dead now, so if Ed McMahon shows up to your door, something's wrong. But we want him to show up with a $10 million check, and we want to know that we're going to be blessed financially. But maybe sometimes we'd be better off if we weren't. If it's going to be a stumbling block to you and to me, then we'd be better off without it. If you can handle it, great, and I will celebrate with you. Money is not evil. The love of money is. But just as God knew the heart of this man, he also knows your heart. And he knows what we can really handle. With all of that in mind, please note that this passage is not about money. I've heard it preached as this is just about money. You need to go sell everything and write a check to the church. Now, that's a pretty bold statement. I know for this man, it may seem that way. But this is really about the heart. This man seemed really good intentioned. He seems like a good man, but there was an untouchable in his life. What is it that is untouchable for you? Lord, I'll follow you but don't take this away from me. Lord, I'll be generous. I'll do good. I'll do whatever you ask. But this area is off limits. What is it that's untouchable for you? So the man's response is incredibly sad. Look in verse 22. We read that disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. You see, this man had an encounter with Jesus, but he is not changed for the better. Sitting before him was an opportunity to choose, and he did not choose wisely. Here's this man who has spent his entire life trying to be good, but he just wasn't willing to take that final step. How incredibly sad this must have been. I know some of you are probably thinking, Pastor, this is the most discouraging message I've ever heard from you. 
But the reality is there will be many who have encounters with Jesus and they will not walk away changed. The truth is that there will be many who encounter Jesus, but they too will be disheartened and sorrowful when they leave. They'll listen to the message on a Sunday morning and they'll feel the weight of conviction because they recognize there's something that is missing in their life. They recognize that there is sin that has dominated their life and they need hope, yet they will not respond to the call of God on their lives. Or they'll struggle through some type of hardship and know that God is calling them to be set free, only to see them remain in their bondage because it's familiar to them. One day, they wake up and realize that they've missed out on an incredible opportunity to be intimate with a holy God. And it's because they weren't willing to pay the price. What is the price? Before I answer that, let me just say that often this passage has been used to present the gospel message, inviting people to salvation. And I understand why that is. However, today I want you to see that this is not so much about moving people from death to life or from sin to salvation, but rather this is about taking people on the next step of their faith. This man has already done the church side of it. This man has already tried to be good. He has tried to keep the law. And what really needs to happen is this man needs to move into what we would call sanctification. It's about Christians growing in maturity, moving from mere infants in Christ to mature adults, able to handle solid food. I told you that the disciples were astonished by Jesus' words, and they wondered aloud, then who can be saved? Jesus' response ought to give all of us an incredible sense of hope. With man, it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Often this verse has been quoted without context, though. Jesus is addressing a man who needed a heart change. And while this man's heart was not going to change on its own, God could change his heart. Then you have the astonished disciples who are trying to process what they're hearing. And Peter says, what, what about us? Literally, he says in verse 28, see, we have left everything and followed you. And I don't perceive this as Peter bragging about his own sacrifice. I think what he's really saying here is that we're already doing all this stuff. We've surrendered everything to you already. Is that enough? We need to have that willing heart that says, God, I will surrender everything to you. I'm not holding anything back. We must relinquish or surrender all to Jesus. All the good things that God has placed in your life. By the way, I know that there's an element of this. We... I told you that sometimes we do this as a message of salvation. But I believe even those in the church, there are many of us who we have made a decision to follow Jesus. We've prayed some sinner's prayer, but we are still holding on to things that perhaps should not be quite as important to us as we have made them. 
Too many of us, we want so much to keep the things of our past or maybe even some of the blessings that we already have. And we're saying to the Lord, even though we've said that prayer, we're saying to the Lord, but this is mine. It's the untouchables. This is not about them out there. This is about us in here. We need to make sure that we are right. All the good things that God has placed in your life, hold on to it with an open hand. It doesn't mean that God will take it away from you. It doesn't mean that he will tell you that you have to sell it and give everything to the poor. But it does mean that he wants to be the thing that is most important in your life. You can't hold on to God's blessing with an open hand. If you can't hold on to his blessing with an open hand, then God's blessing may have become more important to you than you want to admit. So God calls us to relinquish all, to surrender everything. And the result, according to verses 29 and 30, is we will receive more. Listen to Jesus' promise to the disciples who have relinquished everything. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mothers or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brother and sister and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and the age to come eternal life. These verses are often referenced among those who preach what is called the prosperity gospel. It is the idea that you'll get 10 or in this case a hundredfold in return for your sacrifices. But I would just add that they typically don't use that entire verse. It's selective what parts we like to hear. They talk about the promise of prosperity, which the verse does mention, yet that is incomplete. It also says that it will not be easy. In fact, let me read it to you one more time. Truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mothers or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions I thought we were talking about blessings I thought we were talking about all the good things that we would get and, and a lot of it persecutions really What he is saying here is that if you relinquish all, you will receive these things. But that includes the difficult things like persecution. You'll get blessings. You'll get eternal life. But right in the middle, you also will have to suffer. Do you want to know what I hear in this? On the one hand, God desires to bless you for your obedience and willing sacrifice. God will give you the promise of eternal life. And even in this life, he will provide for all of your needs. But God is also calling you to endure hardship. This is the sanctification over just salvation. He's not just calling you to believe in him. He's not just calling you to be obedient. 
He is calling you to be devoted to him above everything else. He is calling you to be great rather than good. There will be times that it would be easier for you to take the foot off the gas, but you cannot. You must continue to press on, to take hold of that to which God has called you heavenward. You will be persecuted. You will endure hardship more because of your faithfulness to the Lord. There'll be difficult days. I know that's not what anybody wants to hear. They want the pastor to stand up here and tell you, it's going to be good. You guys are going to love this. You following Jesus and you being devoted to him, it's going to result in a lot of great things. And I will tell you, it's going to result in the greatest thing you will ever ask for, eternal life. When you surrender your life to him, he will give you more than you could ever deserve. But on the journey, there will be difficulty. There will be times that you're going to think, is this really what I signed up for? And I want you to know that he will walk with you even when you walk through those dark valleys. He will be there to provide. God does not want us to be good. He wants us to be great. I call you just as God's word has already called you to be great for him. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Surrender everything to him and allow him to be the Lord of your life. If you would, bow your heads with me. Father, as we come before you today, well, we read a story that honestly, it's not attractive. It's not what we want to hear in any way. There are things in this story that are very ugly. It doesn't even end well. This man walks away disheartened because he could not let go of the things that he had. Father, I do thank you for the many blessings that you have poured out on us. I thank you that you have been very, very generous. Some of us, those blessings look different. Some are wealthy, some struggle, but they have a house to live in. They have food on their table. Some of us have more friends than we could ever have imagined when we were growing up. Some of us have notoriety in the community. Some of us the gifts and the blessings just seem to go on and on. But Lord, I pray that those gifts and blessings would never become so important to us that we were not willing to surrender it all to you. Lord, I pray right now that if there be anyone in this room who right now they are holding on to untouchables in their lives, things that God, he's not supposed to take, Lord, I pray right now that you would help us to hold those blessings with an open hand that would declare, God, if this is what you want from me, Lord, it's yours because I just want you. Father, I pray that we would be able to surrender everything to you and that we would know your presence. Yes, there may be dark days, there may be difficult times, but may we know your presence and know you better than anything else in this world. In this story, this man wants to follow you. He wants to have eternal life. And the invitation is that if he will sell everything, then he can come and follow. Lord, I pray that we would be willing to come and follow, to do 
whatever you call us to do, go wherever you would send us. Father, I pray that you would help us to simply be willing to experience that intimacy with you. Father, we praise you today, and we look forward to seeing what you do in a people that is fully surrendered to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. It is such a blessing to have each of y'all with, with us today. I, I will tell you, this is not a fun message because it's actually disheartening to think that people would know the truth but not walk away with the life-changing power of Jesus Christ in them. It breaks my heart to think that there might be those who do that in the church every Sunday. My prayer is that it wouldn't be you. Thank you for being with us this morning. Go in peace.